Hey there, welcome to the Favorite Church Podcast. We are a church for imperfect people who want to know God and make Him famous. In this episode, we'll be revisiting a message from one of our Sundays in church. Let's listen to our senior pastor, James Aiden. Hey, welcome to church. If we haven't met yet, my name's James, and I'm so glad you're here. We're going to have a fun, fun night. Hey, a month ago, a month ago, I started preaching a, uh, a series on the call of God at our family camp uh, in uh, SMX, Aura. We, uh, we talked about the cost of the call, what the call of God costs you. Uh, we established that our eternal life salvation with Jesus is completely free. You can't earn it. You can't be a good person for it. You can't pay money to receive it. The only way that you can receive Jesus is if you acknowledge that it is indeed a free gift and that he died on the cross for you to save your sins, uh, save you from your sins. But in order to follow Jesus, that actually is going to cost you something. The call of discipleship to become like Jesus costs you something. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus told us that we had to pick up our cross every day. Eternal life is free, but following Jesus is going to cost us something. A couple weeks later, a couple weeks ago, uh, before we did baptism last week, how many of y'all loved baptism? Wasn't that incredible? For baptism, I talked on the purpose of the call because so many people are wondering, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? And, uh, and so we talked about the purpose of the call, and we established three things that firstly, even before you talk about your purpose, you have to establish your identity, because without your identity in Christ, then you're never ever going to be able to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. So whether you're struggling with what am I supposed to do, my sexual preference, what's my career, all these different things that we have, we actually need to find our identity in Jesus, find who we are, and more importantly, whose we are. Once we find that, then we can actually begin to see the purposes of God unfold in our life. And so we established and went on to say that that God actually, uh, the passions that you have are linked to your purpose. God wouldn't have given you passions in your life unless it was actually linked into your purpose. And so we talked about how your passions can be that. And then lastly, we talked about how your, your passion and your purpose in life is not just for you, but it's for others around you. And so today I want to continue on this thought, talking about the call of God, the dreams, the plans, the visions that God gives you. And I want to talk about probably the, the hardest thing within this whole idea of the call Paying the cost every day is difficult, but I, I, hate, I hate what I'm about to talk about. This is an annoying sermon to preach because uh, every time you preach something, you get convicted of it yourself first. And so if you're taking notes, which I, I hope you are because, you know, Jesus is watching. Um, <laughs> the title of my message is simply this, the frustration of the call. The frustration of the call. What is the frustration of the call? The frustration of the call is when you, you get that call from God, that dream, that vision. He pops it in your heart. Man, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. This is what I see for your future. And the frustration is the journey from when you receive the call to when you actually begin to walk out the call. This is the frustration of the call. Now, this is how we imagine life should be, is that we get the call of God and then instantly the next day we're here and we're walking in the call. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking. The reality is, is that this journey usually takes a long time and it's frustrating. It's annoying. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's a hard season that can last for a long time and you got to wait. And I hate waiting. Anybody here hate waiting? I hate waiting. And Jesus called me to live in the Philippines. But here's one of the cool things about moving to the Philippines. I moved here in 2015. And in Australia, where I was living, the only thing that you could get delivered uh, to your home with food was like pizza. Local uh, pizza, local delivery guy. I found this app in the Philippines called Food Panda. Food Panda, right? Like you could order anything that you want. You want a burrito? Bam. You want a burger? Bam. You want rice and chicken? Bam. You want your food cold? Bam. <laughs> like, 
You can order donuts and they bring it to your door. You know how dangerous that is? The whole point of ordering donuts is that you have to walk somewhere to order donuts, thus expending the calories you're about to intake. Now, all I got to do is walk from my couch to the door. Medium pack of munchkins, thank you very much. Right, so one night I ordered. It was about 7.30 at night. Kate and I were so hungry. We, hadn't, we, hadn't had, we didn't have anything in the house. This was before we, we found out you could do grocery shopping on Honest Bee, right? Thank Jesus. Not, it's coming back though, right? Is it gone? What the hell? It's gone. We're going to have to go back to the supermarket now, Kate. Really? It's gone? Why? I was keeping that thing alive. So, so I was hungry right night. It's about 7.30, and Kate and I get on. We order fruit, and, and, and the thing says it's going to take 55 minutes for the food to come. I'm like, eh, okay, I'm really hungry. I haven't eaten all day. We've got no food in the house. I'm like, okay, 55 minutes. It's going to be good. 7.30, press the order. It's great. 8 o'clock, I get online. I look at my phone. I just want to see where the little motorcycle man is. You know, where is he? Little motorcycle man, where are you doing? And, uh, and the problem is, it said your order will arrive in 55 minutes. I'm like, uh, that's a, that was the same as 30 minutes ago. So I'm like, okay, cool, chill. It's the Philippines. I expect things like this. And so, you know, I put it down. I kept watching TV. I picked it up at 8.15. Now, good news was the, the numbers had changed. The, the, the expected time had changed. The bad news was that it changed to 58 minutes now. <laughs> So I start getting angry, right? I'm angry, I'm hungry, it's now 8.30, it's still 58 minutes, I'm, j I'm getting, I, I get hangry at that point, you know what I'm saying? When you're so hungry that you become angry, I start yelling at Kate, I'm like, Kate! Why are you so mean to me? She's like, what, what are you talking about? I'm like, you don't affirm me enough in public! She's like, where is this coming from? I'm like, I'm sorry baby, I'm just so hungry. It's not me, it's the food, right? So I get on, I start the chat, 8.45, I start the chat with Food Panda. The great thing about the chat is they don't know I'm a pastor. <laughs> I am abusing the person. I'm never coming back. Your business is horrible. This is, I'm never, this is, you don't respect people. You don't respect people. Capital letters. You don't respect people. Right? Finally, about 9 p.m., I got the, the driver's number. I got the driver's number. I call him. I called the driver, 9 p.m. It was supposed to arrive at, at 8.25. It's 9 p.m. I go, hey, Sanka! <laughs> he goes, oh, sorry, Paul. And he starts talking to God. I'm like, no, no, English, English, English. <sighs> English. 9.30, nothing there. I'm, I'm writing capitals. My caps lock is broken on my computer because I'm typing so much. 9.55 comes. I don't get a call. I don't get a chat. I just get a text. Sorry, your order has been canceled. So I did what I should have done two hours and 20 minutes earlier. I got on McDonald's.com, I ordered McDonald's, and it was there within 30 minutes. Slightly cold, but within 30 minutes. I hate waiting. Does anyone else hate waiting? I hate, I, I hate, I hate waiting. But, but so much of our Christian journey is actually in this season of frustration of waiting. It's in this season of when God calls and him growing us into the person that we need to be to actually walk out the call that God has for us. And unfortunately, there's so many Christians that end up giving up in this season. We acknowledge the call of God, but when it goes outside of the timeline that we set for God, we love it. God, thank you. You called me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Now that you've called me, God, I need you to do this at this point so I can marry this person, so I can get this job, and I can lose this much weight, and I can do this and this and this, and, 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 and that will send me to my call. And, and, and pretty quickly, you're going to realize that you don't get to dictate the timing in which God's call is actually going to outwork in our lives. When God doesn't match our timeline, we either give up or we just settle. What's worse is some of us 
settle for a cheap imitation of what God originally called us to do. I want to look today at one of my favorite Bible characters. His name is Joseph. And uh, his life is so incredible that there's 13 chapters from Genesis 37 to 50 dedicated to his journey. That's an that's amazing amount of chapters to be dedicated to one man's journey uh, in his life. And I want to pull some thoughts out from Joseph and the tests that he went through in his life and he experienced in his seasons of frustration. And so I got a couple of thoughts that I'm going to hit with you. The first one is simply this, that in the season of frustration, we will face the test of adversity. We're going to face the test of adversity. Genesis 37 introduces us to Joseph, this young man who was loved by his father, Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. Put it the other way around, is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the nation of Israel. Jacob has his son Joseph in his old age. He's the 12th of his brothers, and he loves him. He spoils him. You, you ever had that dad that was like, you know, they were so hard on the eldest siblings, and then when you got to the younger one, they were so easy because they just didn't care anymore, and they were old? Anyone know what I'm talking about, right? Anyone hate your younger siblings because of that? I'm the baby in the family, so I'm the one that received the joy of that, right? Jacob just loved on Joseph, loved him so much, gave him this brightly colored, this, this coat, multicolored coat. And Joseph would go out and help his brothers tend to his sheep. And one night, he, he goes to sleep, and he has this dream that they're out there, and, and, and they've got all these uh, 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 sheets of, of wheat and grain and, uh, and, and Joseph, one, all of a sudden rises up, and the 11 other ones that represent the brothers bend down low to the ground in honor and respect. Joseph's like, wow, what a dream. Let me go tell all my older brothers. They'll be thrilled to hear this. <laughs> Joseph goes and tells them they're angry. How, you little arrogant pipsqueak, how dare you do this? You, how, you know you do it. Angry, right? Angry. Joseph goes back to sleep a few days later has another dream. This time, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars, yes, 11, representing 11 brothers, end up bowing down to him. He goes, wow, my brothers reacted so well to the last dream. Why don't I tell them this one? <laughs> Joseph was 17. He was an idiot. Is there any 17? No. So he goes down and he tells his brothers they react badly. He even goes and tells his dad his dad reacts badly. His dad says in verse 10 that he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Man, his dad got angry. His brothers just hit, hit the roof. His dad sent him out to help his brothers tend to their flocks. This is the brother's reaction as Joseph came closer to him. It says, when his brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. <laughs> That's rather drastic. <laughs> Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, which was a pit. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Before I go any further, I just want to say this to you, that the devil wants to kill your dream before you even get a chance to live it out. When you get a dream and a call from God, the devil wants to kill it and to smash it before you even get the opportunity to get frustrated that it hasn't happened yet. These brothers, pff, let's see what become of these dreams now. That's what the devil is in this place trying to do tonight to people here. You got dreams, he's trying to kill them. But don't worry, he's a punk. And he already lost. You know what I found? That when the call of God comes, listen, when the call of God is always followed very closely by adversity. When the call of God comes, it's always followed by adversity very, very quickly. Uh, Joseph's brother, to continue the story, Reuben has a soft spot for Joseph. So he convinces his brothers, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in the pit. And we'll dip his cloak in. We'll take it back to the dad, dip the cloak in, in, into, into blood. And we'll tell the dad he got eaten by animals. And Reuben was going to come back and save him a little bit later on. So you can imagine Joseph, right? Joseph is 17 years old. He is sitting at the bottom of the pit. And the only reason why he is at the bottom of the pit is because God gave him a dream. And he followed the instructions of his dads to go help his brothers. 
Have you ever felt like you've been in the bottom of the pit and you did nothing wrong to get there? Like it was unfair? Like you're wondering, how did I get, I, I've done all the right things. I go to church. I don't murder people. I pay my tithe. I don't pay my tithe, but I should start paying my tithe. Right? Have you ever felt like that? That you're, you're in the pit and you're like, why am I here? You know what? There's people that have walked into this room tonight that right now you're in the bottom of your pit. You're in the bottom of your pit and you're not sure how you got there. And you're feeling the pressure and the burden of being in there. God has given you a call and a dream. And you're laying at the bottom of this pit and you're wondering, how do I get out? How can I get out of this thing? You know, Joseph, he was young and he was immature and he didn't handle correctly the dream that God gave him. He said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Anyone else here ever said the wrong thing at the wrong time? Like every day of your life, like me. Is that anyone else here? Sometimes we do things and we say things that we shouldn't in relation to our call. So you know what God does? This is what God does. God allows adversity to purify our motives, refine our dreams, and prepare us to realize the vision that he gave us. God allows adversity to come into your life to make sure that you've got the right heart and the right motive of the call that he's given you. To make sure that through this season of frustration, as I'm walking through this season of waiting, facing all the trials that are coming my way, that by the time I begin to walk in what God has called me to do, God will know that you're there for the right reasons and not for the wrong reasons. That you're there to honor him and to glorify him and not just to take your own selfish gain and desires from this thing. So God allows adversity to come. The pit was the first step of Joseph learning how to humble his dream before God. So when you find yourself in a pit, maligned or misunderstood by people around you, you have a choice. Are you going to let this pit make you bitter or make you better? Because you got the choice. I'm in this pit. I'm here because of them. I'm here because of them. Why doesn't anyone love me? How come I don't have a chance? Hey, you can be bitter or you can choose to be better. Adversity will build your character. So many people are like, I want to grow. I want to grow. Great. Get ready for adversity to come. No. I wasn't ready. Right? It's like you want to grow. You know how you grow? You grow through adversity. You grow through tough times. You grow through dealing with real life stuff. That's how you grow. But when it happens, sometimes you're like, oh, God, you're supposed to protect me and love me. God is protecting you and loving you. He loves you so much that he wants you to grow. The story of Joseph, it shows us that God can do anything with anyone despite your upbringing or what situation you're in. Yeah, but you don't know the family I was born into. I don't care. Did you have 11 brothers trying to murder you? If you didn't, you're better off than Joseph. And God used Joseph mightily. If you're in the pit right now, it's just the beginning stages of God making sure he can trust you with the call that he's got coming for you. If you haven't walked in the call and the vision and the dream that God has for you yet, here's the best news you'll hear all night. The reason why is because you're not ready. And if you try and get there too soon, it will crush you. I was 19 years old. I'd been a Christian for about a year and a half, loving Jesus. I was a youth pastor at my dad's church, uh, 20 kids in my youth group, uh, doing it with my sister. And I went down, I visited one of the largest youth ministries in Australia. It was attached to a school that I went to when I was a teenager. And I knew all the leaders there, was just going to hang out. And, and the preacher was preaching. At the end of the night, he was ministering, praying over people. And he called me out, and he began to prophesy over me. And, and he said, uh, you young man, he goes, uh, you're in a season right now of frustration. You know when like someone gives you a word and it's right? And you're like, he's like, lift your hands. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, 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 cool. And he's like, you're in a season of frustration. I'm like, <laughs> how does he know? Right? So I'm just start crying. And he goes, you're in a season of frustration. You feel like there's so much more in you. And, God. and there was, I felt, I was 19, man. I'd heard the call of God. I'd heard the call of God to nations. And I had 20 kids in my youth group. 
And God called me to nations. And so I'm afraid. He goes, you're frustrated with this. But what God is doing in this season is this. He's building a foundation like a building. He's building this deep foundation. It's a deep and it's a wide foundation, which means it's going to take longer to build the foundation. But the deeper and the wider the foundation, the bigger the building is going to be erected from it. And you're going to rise up to be a leader in this nation. You're going to be a voice of truth in this nation. That And starts talking. And I'm like, yeah. Yes, Lord, it's great. I walked away from that night. I went home. I'm like, God, big building, leader in the nation. I'm ready tomorrow. (laughs) I thought I had it. I came back to my youth group the next week, and I walked in with this swagger. I walked in with this big building, leader of the nation swagger. I looked at my kids thinking how lucky they were to have me as their youth pastor. (laughs) Walking around, some little kid came up. His name was David. David was one of those kids that God puts in your youth group to remind you that the devil's real. (laughs) I'm like, how's your week going, David? Yeah, good. I'm like, oh, that's really good to hear. And and for some reason, he just goes, oh, you're an idiot, Pastor James. Idiot. I'm like, I'm an idiot. You little punk. I'm not an idiot. I'm a large building and a leader in this nation. (laughs) Right. We want to talk about frustration. Frustration is being prophesied, building, leader in the nation, coming back to 20 kids and hitting that wall as hard as you can and realizing that that call is going to take a few years. Ten years later. Ten years later, after being married twice and losing one wife, after transferring from one side of the country all the way to the other, after walking into a job that I didn't know I was going to be paid for or not, growing a youth ministry from 15 kids to one of the largest in the country, beginning to oversee one of the largest Christian youth organizations in Australia called Youth Alive. I'm sitting at a national leaders meeting with six other guys. We all have the largest youth ministries in the whole country, the most significant leaders, and this prophetic word just came back to my mind when I was 19 years old. Ten years later, I sat in the room. I said, I'm living it. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. I thought I was ready when I was 19. (laughs) It would have crushed me. It would have crushed me. When you're 19, you think you're ready for anything. Really, you're not. If you're 19, I love you. God bless you. <laughs> but you still got a lot of years ahead of you. If I, had t- if I had taken all that at 29 that God finally gave me at 29, if I'd had that at 19 when I thought I was ready, I was angry at God. When I was 20, I was angry at God. God, how come you haven't given me at 22? God, how come? God, I'm ready. You spoke and I'm ready. And he took me on 10 years of frustration facing adversity, facing things in my life that I would wish not wish upon my worst enemy, facing things that in the midst of it, I hated it. But when I was 29 and I looked back over the last 10 years, I saw, man, I grew when I faced that. Man, I became a much bigger person. Man, I hated going through that, but that made me so strong in my faith and my revelation of Jesus. Man, I didn't like that, but you grew me through that. You grew. And I could look back and see how every adversity that I faced, God God allowed me to go through it. I didn't become bitter, but I became better through every situation. Was it easy? Absolutely not. I ain't going to try and spiritualize it for you. Oh, it's just fantastic. Every situation I face, God, you're good. So good to me, right? It's not that. I had moments of bitter. I had moments of anger. I had moments when peers would, would overtake me and get promoted into positions that I feel I deserved. I was angry. Like, are you kidding me? They're ugly. (laughs) Which had no bearing on their ability to do ministry, but I thought it did. (laughs) I got angry. How come they're getting promoted? They don't do, and I know what they do in the secret. I've seen their MySpace pages. Just dating myself. I got used to get angry. I got bitter. But you know what? Thank God I never allowed myself to stay in a state of bitter. And through those adversities, and they were tough, I got better. I didn't stay bitter. I got better. 
Was I in the pit more times than I could count? But I didn't live in the pit. I stayed there for a season, and God pulled me out. The pit didn't make me bitter. It made me better. Let your pit make you better. You might be in a pit today. Don't get angry that you're in the pit. Get excited because that thing's about to make you better. Number two, in the season of frustration, we will face the test of temptation. Joseph's brothers realized that they could get cash off him, jumping back into the story of Joseph. So instead of leaving him in the pit, they decided to sell him to uh, some slave traders. Slave traders ended up taking him to Egypt and sold him on to the captain of Pharaoh's guards, the palace guards, a guy named Potiphar. And when Joseph was sold to Potiphar, he began to work in his house, began to work in his household. And the Bible says that the favor of the Lord was upon Joseph and everything that he did. And so Joseph just began to rise in prominence. He began to become a leader and then a leader and then a leader and grow in responsibility until Potiphar had placed Joseph in charge of his whole household. Potiphar did nothing. Joseph did everything in the whole household. Joseph had passed the test of adversity and come into a position of privilege. Now listen to me. If Satan cannot get us to sin by withholding our needs, he will try to by offering us what we desire. If he can't get you to sin by withholding what you need, then he's going to try and get you to sin by offering what you desire in your heart. And this is where we encounter the test of temptation that Joseph lived to. In Genesis 39, we meet a woman called Potiphar's wife. What a wicked woman. A lustful woman, a sexual woman. Just a bad, bad girl. You know, sexual attraction is probably as strong as the will to survive in some people's lives. And like adversity is... When it comes to this whole thing of sexual attraction and and sexual uh, temptation, it's both a test and a temptation for us. See, quite simply put, God wants to build us up while the devil wants to tear us down. And temptation will either make you or break you. If you defeat temptation, you'll be built up. If you fall into temptation, you'll be turned down, torn down. And everything for Joseph, this was crazy, everything for Joseph came into alignment to make it easy for Joseph to fall. Everything came into alignment. He was a slave that was living in a society that was devoid of moral values. He was far away from home. He, he, he had the, the, um, the victimhood of everything that had happened to him. He's angry at his brothers. He had this powerful and attractive and assertive and married and sexy woman up in his junk trying to chase him down every day. And this could have been a personal advantage for the boss's wife. Could have kept her close. Could have helped him in his job. But this is what happens. This is how temptation works. We can see it in Joseph's life and we can see it in our own. See, the first thing is this, is that when temptation came, it was totally unexpected. Totally unexpected. Joseph was doing his work and she took the initiative. She looked at him and was like, hey. And it wasn't like, hey, it was like, hey. She took the initiative. I mean, I know some of you men are sitting here going, Lord, I'd love a woman to take the initiative with me. (laughs) No, maybe you should just grow up, become a man, and ask that woman out instead. (laughs) Be a man. Anyway. So she takes the initiative. Joseph is unexpecting. Of what's about to happen. Can I tell you a secret? Satan doesn't wait until you have applied the full armor of God before he tempts you. Satan's not waiting in the morning going, okay, got the, got the, the chest on. Oh, he's just applied the breastplate of righteousness. Oh, he's picked up his shield of faith. Okay, now you ready? Are you good? Are you good? Are you good? Okay, come and sleep with me. Satan's not doing that. Satan's waiting for you to get so tired that you take off 
the armor of God and then he attacks. Satan's waiting for you to get a chink in your armor because of offense, because of unforgiveness, because of something that someone did to you. And so he can just begin to throw those fiery darts at you. Temptation comes unexpectedly. Who here has been sitting doing something and then all of a sudden temptation just flies in your head? From Come on, be honest with me. Who here? Who here? Fantastic. Thank you for your honesty. Temptation is unexpected. The next thing is this, is that there was daily repetition of this temptation. The Bible says that every day she pressured him to come and sleep with her. Every day. That means Monday he woke up, she's like, Joseph! <laughs> Joseph! Hey! Tuesday wakes up, Joseph. <laughs> Wednesday, Joseph. Thursday, Joseph. Friday, Joseph. Saturday, Joseph. Every day, the temptation kept coming. This girl was thirsty every single day. Tempting and tempting and tempting. You know what I found? That when sin comes through temptation, it's not just a one-off temptation. Every single day it comes. Anyone know what I'm talking about right now? See, the reason why I'm asking about this, some people are like, oh, my God, I'm nervous. Temptation. What's he talking about? You want to raise my hand. When you get tempted, that's not a sin. Some of you all feel guilty right now that I'm talking about temptation. If you get tempted every day, could I just encouragingly say, welcome to the human race. Everybody gets tempted every single day. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is a thought bubble that comes into our mind. It's what we choose to do with that temptation which, which leads us to sit. If we sit on it, if we chew it, if we eat it, mm, 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 this temptation's good. Oh, it's Wednesday. Woo! She's coming again, you know? If we chew, then the temptation that starts in our mind, because temptation always starts in the mind, and then it leads to a physical action. So being tempted is not a sin. It's what you do with that temptation that can turn into sin. Every single day, this girl came against Joseph, coming against him. Come sleep with me. Come sleep with me. Come sleep with me. Resistance can be worn down by persistence if you're not careful. The next thing that Joseph was faced with, Joseph, was that Joseph, I don't know who. Joseph. The next thing he was faced of in this temptation was that it was a favorable opportunity. When she finally made her move, there was no one else in the house. There was no one else around. No one else would know. He could have done it and got away with it. You know, one of the greatest powers of temptation is the promise of not being caught. But it ain't a promise. It's a lie. A wise man said to me once, I love this, that if the consequences of sin were immediate, no one would ever sin. The great lie of temptation is you can do it and you can get away with it and no one will ever know. So how did Joseph fight this temptation? Well, number one, this is what he did. He was loyal to God. Genesis 39 verse 8, it says, Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Joseph here, what I love is that last line that he says. He doesn't say, it would be bad for my master. I'm going to get in trouble by my master. He, he acknowledges, hey, it's a wicked thing what you want me to do. And the worst thing in all of this is that if I did it, I would be sinning against my God. He knew that if he went through with it, it would dishonor God. And he was willing to put his job and his reputation on the line to keep his honor with God. Can I ask a question? What are you facing right now that's challenging your honor with God? What do you maybe need to walk away from? What job, what reputation do you have that maybe it's time to honor God more than the fear of losing your job or your reputation that you have? Joseph knew the real cost of sin. It wasn't against people, but it would be against God. The second thing that Joseph did and how he fought temptation 
was that he put boundaries in place. Oh, I love this. Genesis 39.10, it said, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. This girl, man. But he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. This, this is amazing. Joseph put down boundaries. So many times people come up the front of church, and they have these massive spiritual Moments where God like, oh, break me free of my addiction. I don't want to date that person anymore. I God. And we have these moments where we cry and we fill up the front with our tears and we want to change. We want to change. But the dumbest thing that we do is we have a spiritual encounter with God, but we don't back that up by making any physical changes in our life. And so the next day when that same temptation, addiction, relationship comes by, because we haven't put a boundary in place, we end up going back to the same exact thing, and it just becomes a cycle. Joseph put up boundaries. He knew that she was after him, and so it says there that he stopped spending time around her. The Bible describes Joseph as a well-built, attractive young man. In Egypt, he would have worn his little toga. He would have been shirtless up there. The guy was ripped. He had muscles. I don't know too much about muscles, uh, but whatever. And <laughs> And, and so he would have been, you know, before he would have been lifting boxes. She would have been like, Joseph, she's lifting, he's doing things. He's reaching for high bits, right? And he's good. His triceps, his delts are popping. Right. So you know what he did? He realized that he was a source of temptation for this woman. So he placed boundaries so that he won't be alone with her. He placed boundaries. So many times when we struggle with temptation, we deal with the spiritual stuff, but we never deal with the physical, practical things. We got to begin to put boundaries in place. And the one time that he didn't, we read what happened. Number three, you know what he did to fight temptation? He fled. He ran. Genesis 39, 11, it says, One day, however, no one else was around when he went to do his work. And she came up and grabbed him by the cloak. This, honestly, this woman, she came up, <laughs> grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away. But he left his cloak in her hands as he ran from the house. I love it. He ran from the house. He didn't stay and try and talk it out. He didn't have a conversation where he's like, hey, this isn't my beliefs. I've got a conviction about this, but we could talk it out. Oh, really? Maybe I could change my beliefs and conviction for this. He didn't sit there and talk it out. He didn't try and be Superman and say, no, I can handle the temptation. I'm going to be here because I'm Superman. No. He ran. He fled. He left his clothes there because he ran so fast. Some of you have walked in tonight and you got to run away from the temptation that you have in your life. Some of you got to run away from your relationship. Only if you're not married. If you're married, stay. <laughs> stay and fix it. But if you're not married, run! If they ain't pushing you to God, run! Oh, no, but pastor, if I spend enough time with him, I can flirt him and convert him. <laughs> Run! <laughs> flirt and convert. <laughs> Temptation is trying to steal the call that God has on your life. Temptation is trying to steal it. Run. Put boundaries in place. Be loyal to God. You know, after this, picking up where we left off with Joseph, he was thrown into prison. But even though he was in jail, he was free of the daily temptation that was coming against him. He got into jail. And he's in jail 11 years after that initial dream. He's now sitting in jail. At this point, like, I would have just given up. That's why I'm not Joseph in the Bible, and I'm James in 2019. Anyone else would have just given up by this point? Thank you for the four honest people in this place. Didn't realize I was pastoring the most spiritual church in the whole world. No, I would have kept going. Prison's fine. I would have given up. I would have been angry. Are you kidding me? God, you called me 11 years ago. People, the stars are going to bow down to me now. 11 years later, I'm sitting in prison. Why? I'm sitting in prison because I didn't sleep with my boss's wife. 
I get thrown in the pit because I have a dream from God and I do what my dad says. Now I'm in prison because I was honorable to my boss and actually protected my boss. It's frustrating. What a frustrating position for Joseph to be in. But I love Joseph because he doesn't just stay there. He begins to work hard. He begins to work hard. He begins to do everything that needs to be done in the prison. The warden looks at him and goes, man, you're good at what you do. I'm going to make you in charge of all the other prisoners. And I'm going to make you in charge of everything within the prison because the favor of the Lord was upon Joseph because through all his trials and frustrations in that season, he never dishonored God. This led us to his last test. And in the season of frustration, we will be faced with the test of advancement. Joseph rose in the prison. He did all the little things. It's amazing to me how there's some people that love the call of God, and especially the big calls of God, the big dreams, and they think to themselves that they're not going to serve, they're not going to get involved, that they're called to greatness, so I'm not going to waste my time with all the little things over here. I'm just going to wait until greatness comes upon me, and then I'm going to, you know, fly like a butterfly. I'm going to be a peacock and spread my wings, and I'm going to walk in the call of God. Uh, Joseph ended up being called into his season of advancement, listen to me, because of all the horrible things that he went through. Without the pit, he doesn't go to the house. Without the house, he doesn't go to jail. And without jail, he doesn't go to the palace. Joseph served wherever he was with integrity. Every place that Joseph served was a preparation for what was coming in his life. It's how we lived. That's why Paul encourages us in the book of Ephesians in how to live. Paul says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a worthy, a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. So Paul's saying this, hey, the call of God is great. So lead a life that is actually worthy of the call that he's given you. Because it's a great call. So make sure every step that you take is worthy of the call. So how do we live that? Well, he tells us in the second verse, always be humble and be gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Joseph led a life every step of the way that was worthy of the call of God that the Lord had put on him. He didn't just start living it when he walked in the call. He was living it when he was stuck in the pit. So we go back to Joseph. Joseph's in jail. These two guys get thrown into jail. One of them is the cupbearer for Pharaoh, and the other is the baker for Pharaoh. They're in jail, and they have dreams, right? Isn't that amazing? The dreamer is in jail just at the right time. The cupbearer has this dream. He comes to Joseph. He says, this is a dream I have. All the stuff happened, and then three days, and Joseph's like, oh, well, this is what it means. It means that within three days, you're going to be restored to your rightful place, uh, being beside the Pharaoh, the king, and you'll come back as a cupbearer. The baker had a dream as well. He heard how favorable the cupbearer's uh, uh, um, uh, um, 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 interpretation. It's been a long day. Interpretation. How... How favorable it was. So he went to Joseph all excited. Oh, well, I had a dream too. And there was bread and it was his and it was three. And Joseph goes, oh, cool. Unfortunately, what it means for you is that in three days, you're going to be released as well. But instead of being restored to your position, uh, Pharaoh's going to put you on a, on a stake and impale you. And birds are going to come and eat your flesh. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Right? In three days, it happens. Joseph looked at the cupbearer and said, don't forget me. Don't forget me. The cupbearer's like, yeah, of course, of course. Three days later, they both get released. It both happened. Cupbearer goes back as the cupbearer. Baker goes, gets impaled. Animals, birds eating him, right? Two years later, two years, two years, the Bible tells us. Joseph is 30 years old at this point. Remember, dream happened when he was 17. He's now 30 years old at this point. Pharaoh has this dream, crazy dream. Seven fat cows come out of the Nile River. They look amazing. They look healthy. 
And then seven skinny cows, they look horrible, come out of the Nile River, and they eat the seven healthy cows. Pharaoh wakes up in a sweat, freaking out. What does this mean? Calls all the magicians, all the wise men in Egypt to come and explain it to him, to interpret the dream. No one can interpret it. All of a sudden, the cupbearer, cupbearer, two years later, oh, there was this guy once when I was in jail. He interpreted my dream. Pharaoh's like, quick, get him up here. Within half an hour, Joseph goes from the jail, comes up, gets washed, gets shaven, gets cleaned up, everything, steps in front of Pharaoh, the king of the land. Pharaoh tells him his dream. Joseph begins to interpret the dream. Not only does he interpret the dream, but God gives him the wisdom and how to economically handle the land of Egypt for the next 14 years. Pharaoh is blown away by the wisdom of this young man. He explains that the seven healthy cows are a representation of the next seven years that are going to be so fruitful and so amazing in the land of Egypt. They're going to get bigger crops than they've ever gotten before, but not to eat it and not to celebrate with it, to put it away, because the seven cows that came and ate them are going to be seven years of famine and drought that the land is going to go through. And so Joseph not only interpreted the dream, but began to give him economic strategies in how to actually put away the food, make sure we store it, put it in the storehouses, take one-fifth of all the people's productions and put it in the storehouse so when the famine comes, we have enough food to eat. Pharaoh, mind blown, this young man, he looks at him and goes, man, the the spirit of the Lord is on you. Isn't that incredible? Sees it. The heathen Pharaoh sees the spirit of the Lord on him. He takes off his signet ring, which represents his power, and he puts it on Joseph's finger. Instantly makes him the second in charge of the whole nation of Egypt. Gives him a special chariot only for the second in charge. Everywhere he rode, people would know that he was second in charge. The Bible says that there was nothing that happened in the entire land of Egypt that didn't go through Joseph. You know what's amazing? Is that a lot of times God promotes suddenly. In a moment, suddenly promoted. And to everybody else, it's a suddenly. Joseph, in 30 minutes, went from prisoner to second in charge of a whole nation. Everyone in that that courthouse, everyone in the presence of the king would have gone, what? So sudden, so quick. How did that happen? But Joseph stood there. This wasn't sudden. This was 13 years of frustration. This was 13 years of being shaped and molded and punched and beaten and falsely accused and imprisoned. 13 years. It wasn't a sudden leap for Joseph. It was just the next step in his journey. And this is where Joseph faced the test of advancement because God put him in an incredible position. It was nine years after this. Joseph is 39 years old, two years into the famine. Joseph's family runs out of food. They hear there's food in Egypt. The brothers come to Egypt. And I could just imagine the picture. I love to imagine. I could just imagine the picture. Joseph is there. Joseph doesn't look like Joseph anymore. He's been in Egypt now for 22 years. So he's like, he's got like eye makeup on. He's got that big Egyptian, you know, dance like an Egyptian, right? So he's there. He's learned how to dance. And, 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 and so they don't recognize him at all, right? His brothers come and, and all of them, all of them get on their knees and bow before this man, the prime minister of Egypt. Could you imagine Joseph in this moment? Again, this is why I'm not Joseph. If I was Joseph and they bow, like I just would have. <laughs> oh, oh, who's in the pit now? I would have kicked them. I would have punched them. I would have strung them up and threatened Bert. I would have done everything. I would have got revenge. Are you kidding me? They left me to die. And now they have the audacity to walk back into my house and, and ask for food. But that's why I'm not Joseph. And Joseph's response is why he gets 13 chapters in the Bible. Joseph has humility and grace. In fact, the Bible describes that he walks around the corner and he begins to weep and cry because of his brothers. 
He plays a little trick on them. You can read the story. It's great. I, I love Joseph for playing a trick on them. He hid, he hid a silver cup in their bag and then sent someone out, accused him of stealing, took the youngest brother. All the brothers are freaking out because the dad's going to, like if I was, I love that move by Joseph. <laughs> that makes me feel good about, you know, like, uh, sometimes, you know, like, yes, I'm spiritual, but <laughs> gotcha. You know what I mean? Like, I love gotcha moments. And finally, the dad comes, Joseph meets his dad, his brothers realize who he is. There's a beautiful reunion that happens. His dad dies, right? His dad dies. He gets permission to take the bones of his father and bury them in the, the land that was purchased by his grandfather, Abraham. They come back, his brothers start freaking out because they're like, okay, well, maybe Joseph's only been nice to us just because dad has been alive, but now dad's dead. Now he's going, he's going to kill us. He's, he's going to hurt us. It's going to be bad. So they try and send this message out to Joseph. Please, you know, forgive us. We didn't mean any harm by you. And, and, and Joseph responds in one of the most famous verses in the Bible, in Genesis 50, verse 20. This is what he says. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Our natural human response would have been take revenge. You know what Joseph did? He didn't take revenge. He had grace and humility. He helped his brothers. And because of that, his 11 brothers came in and began to live in Egypt. And his 11 brothers became the heads of the, including Joseph, of the 12 tribes of Israel that still exist today because he passed the test of advancement because when God finally elevated him he didn't use it for his own glory he didn't use it for his own revenge even though he had every right what they intended for bad for harm God turned it around for good God put me in this position so that I could help people that was Joseph was it frustrating? I'm sure it was the fulfillment of the dream. The grain bending over and bowing. The 11 stars, the sun and the moon bowing. 17 years old, he got that. The fulfillment of that dream was 22 years later as a 39-year-old. Some of us in this place get a call, a word, a dream from God, and you get frustrated when it hasn't happened in 22 days. God well obviously that's not you just chill you're not ready that's a good thing if God had given me what I wanted when I was 19 years old it would have killed me you know why because of this because my talent and my ability was here but my character was here and so many times people fail not because they're the wrong person for the job, but because they've tried to get in too quickly and they've realized that even though their talent and ability here, their character is here. And what will always be revealed is not your talent and your ability, but your character. And if your character can't match the level of your talent and ability, you will fail. So if you're in a season of frustration, you know what God is doing? God is just growing your character to catch up to your talent and your ability. That's what this season's for. Is it frustrating? Of course. But this is how we can live. First Peter, Peter tells us beautifully in chapter 5, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. It says due time, which means God's time, which doesn't mean my time. Ha! And I know you guys are looking at, wow, what a beautiful verse. Are you kidding? That is the most frustrating verse. Like, y'all should be annoyed when you read that. Oh, God is so good, right? Yeah, he might be, but that's an annoying verse, God. Because those two little words, Jew time, could mean any time. Any time. Frustrating, yes. So how do we live in this season of frustration? Well, the next verse tells us. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Another version says, cast all your cares upon him. You get anxiety in this season. You got frustration in this season. You got cares in this season. Great. Cast it on him. Give it to him. Have a conversation. God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm upset. God, I'm annoyed. Great. Good. But don't stay bitter. Get better. Don't stay in the pit. 
Get out of the pit. You may end up in the house for a season. Something may happen. You may end up in jail. But don't give up. Just keep walking. But God, you promised me years ago, don't give up. Just keep walking. Because if you keep walking, you'll end up in the palace one day. And it'll probably be a suddenly. In a moment, we're going to pray, we're going to worship for all those that are in a season of frustration, which I think is probably every person here to one degree or another. I'm in a season of frustration. God has spoken to me of, of a church of hundreds of thousands of people in the Philippines and hundreds of thousands of people across the world. God has shown me it. I've seen it. I've declared it. I've had other people prophesy it. That even makes it worse when someone else comes beside you and goes, hmm, yep, I see it too, right? I, and then what happens? We have a beautiful, we have an incredible day at SMX Aura. Our whole church is together. It's amazing. And then I come back next week to Shangri-La. And I hit frustration because I see where God can, can have us. But then I'm here. And sometimes it's hard, but I understand this, that without this, we're never going to get there. And right now, God's given me and Kate the capacity to pastor a church of 1,500 people, and he's growing us into the capacity to pastor a church of 5,000 people. Could I do 5,000 tomorrow? In my head, I think I can't, but really I can't, because if I could, we'd be there. God's still growing me. And when I get there, God's going to increase my capacity to pastor a church of 10,000. Do I want that tomorrow? Oh, I'd give anything. Would it crush me? Absolutely. I'll probably lose my marriage because it's not the right time. I'm not a big enough person. I'm not a big enough leader. God's using this season of frustration in me to grow me, to grow me, to grow me, to pastor a church of 50,000, pastor a church of 100,000. I know it's coming, but is it going to be frustrating? Absolutely, it's going to be frustrating. But I'm happy with the frustration because I know my character's growing. We're going to pray for everyone in a moment. But before we do, I want to give you the chance to respond to Jesus today. You know, each one of us, the Bible says, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is the things that we have done that have separated us from God, whether we realize it or not. It's all the stuff outside of God's plan for our life. And a price needs to be paid for the sin that we have done. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals. The life of an innocent would be shed to cover the sins of mankind. In the New Testament, Jesus came that we so beautifully celebrated last week and he died on a cross, his blood shed to cover the sins of mankind once and for all. He didn't stay dead. He rose again after three days. It's not a fairy tale. It's a real story. He defeated the great so that he could give us access to God, access to eternal life. There is no way to get to God the Father except through Jesus. You can't buy it. You can't be good. doesn't matter how many times you whip yourself on your back over Easter weekend. You are not getting to God other than simply humbling yourself before Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Romans chapter 10 puts it this way, that you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. It's amazing. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never, ever done this before. It's your first time in church or been coming a couple weeks and it's all pretty new to you but you're sitting here you feel something in your heart it's the presence of God that's here maybe you're here and you used to come to church a long time ago but you stopped you used to have a relationship with God but something happened frustration set in and life just got a little bit difficult you know I believe it's no accident that you're here tonight God's got you here for a plan and a purpose I'm not asking you to respond to this church and definitely not to me. I'm asking you to respond to Jesus tonight. So out of respect for your neighbor, could you just bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment? If you're saying, James, that's me. I'm that first person. I've never done this before and I want to. Or you're saying, James, I'm that second person. I did this a long time ago. But I know I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking you if you had a bad week. We all have that. This isn't some giant confession box where you confess your sins. I'm asking you 
you know you don't have an active relationship with Jesus Christ here in this place, and you want one tonight. If that's you on the count of three all over this place, I want you to join already the many people today that have lifted their hands to respond to Jesus. So if that's you on the count of three, you lift your hands. One, two, three. Right now, all over this place. Awesome. Hands going up everywhere. On the side, in the corner, all up the side, here in the middle, in the back, on the aisles, right in the middle, in the back row, up in the back corner. Amen. That's cool. Here in the corner, down the front. Thank you, Jesus. That's cool. God is good. Thank you, Lord. Hey, if you lifted your hand, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand on your heart right now if you lifted your hand. And we're all going to pray this prayer of favor as a family. But for those that lifted your hands, I want you to pray these prayer. Repeat these words after me with all your heart. And I believe that God, through his Holy Spirit, is going to come and live in your life the moment that you say amen. So come on, say these words. Say, dear Lord Jesus, come to you today, and I ask you to forgive my sin. I believe that you died, but that you rose again for me. So come into my life. Be my Lord, and be my Savior, and be my best friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can you give God praise for every person that just lifted their hands? Thank you so much for listening in. At Favorite Church, we're a family, and we believe that the Christian journey should not be done alone. If something really spoke to you from the message, we would love to connect with you to talk it over. Or if you prayed the salvation prayer, we'd also love to be able to share more about the decision that you've just made. Please visit us at favor.church/next to learn more. If you want to share this podcast with a friend, simply tap on the share button and send it through. We love you. We're praying for you. Till next time.